I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. Playing some of the best of all three hours of our program today of Kirk Franklin. June is Black Music Month. Almost out of the month, but not quite. It's today the 27th, so just a few more days left. But every day uh, in uh, June, Black Music Month, we feature the music of a different iconic African-American artist. Uh, and that person today is gospel artist Kirk Franklin. We played jazz, we played gospel, we played R&B, we played hip-hop, we played a little bit of everything uh, throughout the course of this month. And why should we not? That's the legacy of black uh, artistry in this country. Uh, I can't imagine my soundtrack uh, uh, without uh, African-American artists on it. I'm sure you can't either. Think about Motown and, and beyond. Every one of us has African-American artists on the soundtracks of our lives. And so in the month of June, we celebrate black music artistry. And once again, for all three hours of our program today, that artist is Kirk Franklin. In this hour, are our choices truly our own or are they predetermined by factors beyond our control? I think... It's fair to say that most of us believe that our choices, our decisions, our actions are self-determined, rooted in our individual autonomy. But is it really that simple? And how does the notion of free will impact our understanding then of moral responsibility? Philosopher and LSU law professor Dr. Ken Levy joins us in this hour to discuss the complexities of free will that you perhaps have never considered its implications for more responsibility and the intersection between philosophy and law. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Ken Levy to this program. Dr. Levy, how are you today, sir? I'm good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. It's a great delight to have you on. I look forward to this hour, uh, which I expect to be rich and brilliant, uh, so don't let me down. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> I'll try not to. Yeah, just, just teasing. Um, but let, let me start with this. And, I, and again, I, I, I do this not because I want to insult the audience, but because I uh, want to make sure that we're all on the same page about our definitions. I think language matters, definitions matter, and just to make sure I'm not losing anybody. Uh, let me throw a couple of things at you that we want to define, and then we'll jump into the dialogue. Um, so when we say uh, throughout this hour, free will, we're talking precisely or exactly about what? Um, good question. So um, there's the free part and the will part. The will part refers to decisions and actions. And then uh, the free part, is, the professional philosophers will debate this endlessly. Um, but I can say a few things. Um, Generally, uh, where we are in 2023 philosophically is freedom require, free will requires certain conditions. Uh, one would be control over mm -hmm. our decisions and our actions. A second would be what's called reasons responsiveness or rationality. Um, it's a minimal kind of condition. Uh, it doesn't have to be, not every action has to be rational, fully rational to be free, but the idea is that we're more or less responsive to reasons, good or bad, mm -hmm. for doing what we do. And then a third, uh, more controversial condition is what, what, what generally just the ability to do otherwise. Um, you ended up punching somebody, and uh, we, we say you did that freely, meaning you could have refrained from punching that person. Um, so th those are, mm -hmm. now, there's a big debate in the philosophical literature. There's a debate about everything sure. in the philosophical literature, but... Some would say you don't need the ability to do otherwise to be free. All you really need is control and rationality. But uh, those three conditions are traditionally considered to be sort of the core of uh, free will. So I start with that because uh, that trifecta, as you've laid it out, um, 
leads me to ask this question. Do all of us mm-hmm. then possess some level of free will in our lives? So again, this is hotly debated, um, but if you're just looking at those three conditions, the answer is yes, right? Okay. Certainly most adults have control in, 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 in the general sense of, you know, controlling your car, controlling um, your movements. Um, we're, we're sufficiently rational most of the time. Um, and again, it's debatable whether we could have done otherwise, but generally we think that most of our behavior, we could have, you know, tried harder to do something different, or we could have been persuaded to do something different. So generally those three conditions are met. What, where the debate really starts vigorously is when people start talking about determinism. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned that in your in introduction. Um, if, if we're physically determined since before we were born by, you know, the Big Bang or, you know, just causes going way back before, you know, we were ever born, then everything we do and think and, and decide is really not up to us. It was up to past causes. And so you have philosophers saying, well, if we're determined, we're, none of our behavior is free. And then there is other philosophers who responded, no, no, even, even if we're determined, it still remains the case that we had control, uh, we were sufficiently rational, and we could have done otherwise. So you have that debate going on. And what's come out of that is a whole movement, what's really called responsibility skepticism. Mm -hmm. They say this debate that's gone back and forth and back and forth between those who say determinism is compatible with free will and those who say it isn't, they say there is no responsibility, there is no free will. It just doesn't exist. It's an illusion. Um, And so we better give it up and Mm -hmm. start changing, you know, society accordingly. So let me let me ask this question then. I'm 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 staying with you so far. Um, mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you then why, to your mind, uh, before we jump more deeply into it, this debate matters because uh, in 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 the academy uh, there are always debates, uh, as you said earlier, about everything. And to everyday people, some of these debates matter, and some of these debates they don't understand why it even what the debate's even all about. So you're talking to a, a broad audience of, of folk who are educated, but we're also everyday people uh, listening right about now. So tell me why you think this debate about free free will, we'll get into its implications for moral responsibility and the intersection between philosophy and law. We'll do some of that later through the hour. But 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 for starters, why does this debate about free will in this mo- American moment, why does this debate matter? We just got to do, I, I just spent an hour I just spent an hour talking about Donald Trump. You probably heard the tape that's out now, uh, the tape on which Donald Trump is caught pretty red handed sharing classified documents with random people. And he's made all kind of arguments about that. At the center of that debate is the notion of free will. Uh, Donald Trump had the control. He had the rationality. He could have done otherwise. The debate about free will is at the center of the Donald Trump saga right now. But broadly speaking, for all of humanity, why does this debate about free will matter to you, sir? Yeah, um, great, great question. We can let's talk about Trump. Um, it really matters in, in two, uh, primarily two contexts. Um, when evaluating somebody's moral responsibility and when evaluating their legal responsibility. Um, so let's start with the moral responsibility. I, I wrote an op-ed uh, um, maybe a year or two ago, is, is Donald Trump responsible for his bad behavior? And I think most people would say, well, of course, he's an adult. Um, you know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he, he's a, you know, he lies and he knowingly lies and so on. 
But there are arguments, primarily by responsibility skeptics, that no, he's merely the product of external forces going back not only to before his birth, but to his upbringing, um, his genetics, his, his brain. I mean, if you look at everything that motivates his very bad behavior, we can all agree it's bad and wrong, legally, morally, et cetera. Um, you, you can get an argument out of that that, yeah, he's a bad guy, he does bad things, but he's not responsible. And in case anybody, and by, I, by the way, I don't share that view. I, I think he is. But there, I think there are compelling reasons to think that we should be skeptical, that, you know, we should be a little humble in our judgments about other people's responsibility. And, and hold that, hold, example hold, of that. Hold that thought one second. Hold that thought. I hate, I hate to do this. Uh, I see where you're going. This is going to, as I promise, it's going to be rich. It's going to be good. Uh, and my, 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 my blood pressure is always starting to rise a little bit <laughs> in part because I'm glad your professor Levy say he didn't buy that argument, but there are those who advance that argument and you know exactly where I'm going. Don't you? L uh, Jamal and Letitia can't make that argument in front of a judge when they go to court that my past uh, my parents, my genetics. No, 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 Negro. You, you're going to prison, and you're going to be there for a while. Uh, again, Jamal and Letitia can't make that argument. Uh, and for anyone making that argument in defense of Donald Trump, I find reprehensible. But we're just getting started. And just so you know that I know where we are, when we come forward, there are two arguments Dr. Levy was uh, 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 starting to make. One, to this question about why free will matters, is moral. The other is legal. We'll pick right back up when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. We'll continue to celebrate June as Black Music Month. Our featured artist all three hours of our program today is Kirk Franklin. And he's sounding awfully good this morning with that remake of Patrice Russian. Uh, but I like Kirk's treatment uh, of that, uh, that brilliant track. So again, Kirk Franklin, all three hours of today's program. We continue our conversation now with Dr. Ken Levy. LSU law professor and philosopher talking about free will and whether or not the choices that we make are truly our own or are those choices predetermined by factors beyond our control. Most of us believe that our choices, decisions and actions are self-determined. They are rooted in our own individual autonomy. Um, Dr. Levy pushes back on that in some interesting ways. And we're talking about that in this hour, this notion of free will and whether or not we are truly autonomous in the decisions that we make. Before that break, Dr. Levy, you were just warming up on uh, the answer to my question about uh, about free will uh, and um, why this matters. And there was a moral argument you wanted to make and a legal argument you wanted to make. You were into the moral argument. Continue, please, sir. Sure. So we were talking about Trump and, um, I, you know, I think most people just think he, he's a very bad guy, and he's a, he's a he's a grown adult. He uh, he he he's fully morally responsible, and if convicted at trial, he's fully legally responsible. Um, responsibility skeptics would say, well, nobody is responsible. Responsibility is impossible. Free will is impossible. So Donald Trump is no exception to that. Um, but then we could look individually, if, if, putting aside the responsibility skeptics. We can look individually at Trump and come up with reasons to think. And again, I don't subscribe to these, but I want to be fair sure. to the, you know, um, there are reasons to think that he in particular may not be responsible for his behavior, at least morally. We'll put the legal aside for a second. And those are, for example, my understanding is that he was abused as a child. And we call that the abuse excuse that, and, you know, we say that pejoratively, but, you know, abuse, violence, 
can um, rewire a person's brain mm-hmm. um, and they can make that, you know, uh, for all we know, if Donald Trump had had a wonderful upbringing, he might have been a much better person today. So that's one factor. We might say he's mentally ill, severely mentally ill. Um, some have suggested he might be eligible for the insanity defense. Um, I don't think he would do that for for, uh, for political reasons, but um, he seems to suffer from serious disorders, personality disorders. And uh, we generally think they're not um, somebody who is suffering, for example, from extreme schizophrenia is not responsible for the schizophrenic behavior. Um, and, and that's the basis of the insanity defense. Um, but uh, again, I, I, I don't think he's going to resort to that. There, there is a defense that has been used. We're going legal now, but this is, sure. has moral implications. There, there was a defense a while ago that was proposed called the affluenza defense, which is that really rich, spoiled children never learned right from wrong. So you can't really blame them when they do the wrong thing as adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, that didn't go very far. <laughs> uh, but philosophers like to make those kind of arguments. But uh, the, the courts weren't really buying it. Certainly juries weren't buying it. And one, one last thing I'll say uh, about Trump, uh, again, just something to think about is um, he, uh, you know, between his genetics and his situation, not, not merely, you know, growing up, but he was surrounded by certain people with certain values and he was pressured, if not coerced, into adopting those values um, there was tremendous pressure to live up to his father's goals for him. His father kept bailing him out. Um, and that shapes a person. That makes a person who he is, and yet those factors are external to him. Um, and so, again, and we're, we're all, look, we're all shaped by external factors, mm-hmm. um, by our upbringing, by our genetics, by our environment. And who knows what kind of people we would have been with different environments, Right. Um, and different genetics. So uh, these are all reasons to think that we shouldn't be merely assuming, at least philosophically, that he's morally responsible. Now, I think when it comes to law, I certainly don't, and I, I think most people don't have a problem. If he's indicted, if his defenses, whatever they are, don't work, he deserves to be punished like anybody else. Um, and, uh, you know, so but I, I, I bracketed all that for the moral discussion, yeah. which tends to be more philosophical. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, let me just uh, pivot right quick uh, and say something that may get me in some trouble. But I, I want to say it anyway, not, <laughs> not the first or the last time. Uh, as Dr. Levy was talking, uh, I'm looking at Miles and J.D., I, 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 I thought about uh, Robert Sylvester Kelly. Uh, nobody wanted to hear. Uh, about the fact that he was molested as a child, that he was exposed. He basically lived in a whorehouse <laughs> growing up in Chicago. That's just a fact. Uh, and he was hypersexualized at a very young age, and nobody wanted to hear the hypersexualization argument early on in his life uh, for Kells. Uh, of course, when I say Robert Sylvester Kelly, I'm talking about R. Kelly. Uh, nobody wanted to hear that at R. Kelly's trial, and I'm not saying anything, anything beyond what I'm saying. I'm just making the point that uh, if we are talking about the fact that we are the sum total of our life experiences, nobody wanted to hear that. Now you get in trouble for playing R. Kelly music. I digress on that point, but I want to just put that out there since we're talking about free will and whether or not we do, in fact, truly make our own choices or whether or not some of those choices are predetermined by factors beyond our control. I will set that over here for the time being and get back to this conversation. I'm only raising it because I don't want to hear that about Donald Trump. 
and you didn't want to hear about about R. Kelly. But again, I digress on that point. Now, here's what I want to get to. Um, your research and your work and your, your POV about whether or not our choices are truly our own or whether or not they are predetermined by factors beyond our control. So let's unpack that, Professor Ken Levy. Sure. So think, think about it this way. We're, we, we didn't create ourselves. We, we were uh, created, all of us were created through the process of reproduction. We were thrown into the world with a certain brain, body, genetic structure, and that, you know, our DNA had the program, you know, for how we were going to develop. And so we didn't have any control over who we were, where we were born, uh, and then certainly how we were raised. And so for the first, let's say, 10 years of our lives, we, one, or let's say five, the first five years of our lives, we really have no control over who we are. It's all environmental and external inputs, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then somebody might say, yeah, but at some age, you know, six years old or 10 years old or 15 years old, you took over, right? But the you that took over was itself created by all these external factors. So it's, just, it's, it's a machine, it's a computer, that's now kind of reprogramming itself, but it's still that reprogramming was determined by its original program, um, which it didn't have any control over. Mm -hmm. So the argument is that none of us can ever really have free will, ever really have responsibility because we're just sort of the outcome of all these other external factors. As you said, the sum total of, um, you know, our life experience, you know, Mm -hmm. well, as I would put it, the sum total of all these inputs. Sure. Sure. Um, and so that's the real challenge, and that's the challenge of the responsibility of skeptics, that how can you say anybody's responsible? And um, I, I think it's a metaphysical challenge, but it's also a practical challenge, because if they're right about that, then we have to dramatically rethink the criminal justice system. Yes. And, and not merely for the reasons you were saying, which are certainly good reasons, that there's you know, really two justice systems, one for white people and one for non-white people. Um, but uh, and that's that, that certainly demands structural reform. The responsibility skeptics want to go even further and say, let's get rid of culpability altogether, mm-hmm. uh, because there is no such thing. It's predicated on this assumption that we have moral responsibility and they're saying we don't. So we need to really think when somebody violates the law, instead of saying you're to blame and you're responsible and you're going to be punished, let's rethink what's really going on here. And they liken it to somebody having a disease um, through no fault of their own, because there is no fault in a responsibility skeptical world. So let's quarantine them until they're no longer dangerous, like we would somebody who's got you know a, a dangerous virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that didn't really work out well with COVID. Uh, but the idea, the theoretically, the idea is don't blame them, don't judge them. Just say you did the wrong thing, you're dangerous, and we need to lock you up until you're no longer dangerous. And that would be, and you might say, well, what's the difference? I, they think it would lead to a much more humane criminal justice system um, where we're not blaming and pointing fingers. There's no anger or hate. There's no revenge. It's all about restorative justice, not retributive justice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they, they make a compelling case. I don't buy it in the end. I think it would actually lead to greater mass incarceration. Um, and I, I, I could get into that if you want, but I, I, I think practically it would not work yeah. out. But their their heart is in the right place. Yeah. When we, when, um, when we come, I, just, yeah. <clears throat> I hear your point. When we come forward, I, I want to come to this notion of which we haven't. We've kind of tiptoed around it, 
But it seems to me you can't have a conversation about free will without having a conversation also about good and evil. Um, it is, I think, impossible to deny that in the world that we live, there is good and there is evil. Uh, and we have choices um, between choosing good or choosing evil. So it seems to me that you can't you can't talk about free will without talking about on demand that there is good and evil in the world in which we inhabit. We'll come to that and, uh, and unpack a great deal more. It's getting rich, and I love it. Our guest in this hour is philosopher and LSU law professor Dr. Ken Levy, who you're listening to right now on KBLA Talk 1580. Number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you tuned in in this hour as we talk about the notion of free will and whether or not our choices are truly our own, or whether or not they are predetermined by factors beyond our control. Are we truly autonomous in our decision-making, or do these uh, sort of predetermined influences uh, decide how we act and behave in real time? It's a question that matters uh, because uh, the impact of um, the answer to that question uh, can ultimately be felt uh, in every field of human endeavor, it certainly can be felt uh, with regard to our justice system, our criminal justice system, which we'll get to uh, in a moment in our conversation. Our guest in this hour is philosopher, as you imagine. you, you got to be talking to a philosopher if you're talking about free will. He's a philosopher and a law professor at LSU. He's Dr. Ken Levy, and I am honored to have him on this program. So I was saying uh, before that uh, break for news, traffic, and sports, uh, Dr. Levy, that uh, that with all due respect to the responsibility skeptics, good and evil are as real as rain. And if we accept that good and evil exist in the world, then what's the relationship between good and evil and free will? Yeah. So, um, well, um, if we assume it's real, uh, as as always, there are philosophers who say it's not real. Good, mm -hmm. good versus evil is is a, is some sort of fiction. It's a useful fiction, maybe, or it's a or it's a counterproductive fiction. But if we assume that there is objective good and objective bad or objective wrong, um, then it, it's the picture seems fairly straightforward. I'm I'm contemplating doing the wrong thing. I'm kind of going back and forth, you know, should I, uh, I'm very angry. Should I punch this person or not? I keep using violence because it's easy. Uh, you know, it's an easy example. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know the right thing is to refrain, calm down, not hurt somebody, but I'm very angry and I'm very inclined to do the wrong thing and punch. And one might say, if I go ahead and punch, I did the wrong thing and I'm morally responsible. I knew, I knew it was wrong mm -hmm. and I still did it. And if I refrain, you know, I deserve some praise, <laughs> a little credit for doing the right thing, you know, resisting my temptation. And that seems a very straightforward picture. And, um, and, and, um, and, and many, if not most of us, accept it until we get into the philosophy classroom, right? And then the responsibility skeptics are telling us that choice that you thought you had was really an illusion. And um, you were determined all along or even if you weren't determined uh, to punch, let's say, um, you know, your brain just went in one direction rather than another. That wasn't you. That was your brain randomly firing. Uh, so that's not, you know, that's not in your control. Or they might say the way you've been shaped, you know, again, going back to our earlier discussion, social forces, your genetics, that all caused you to punch your, you know, your, um, the, the instigator, your, you know, your opponent. 
And so, again, you have no control over you, yet who you are, what you are. And so they have all these reasons to say, even though it looks like a very simple picture, and, of course, you're responsible morally, you're really not. Now, again, legally, we're not going to, the philosophers aren't going to get into the courtroom. I mean, maybe you'll have a lawyer or two trying to say there's no such thing as moral responsibility and therefore culpability is itself an illusion, but I don't think most juries are going to buy that. No, ain't nobody buying that. Um, particularly, if the, particularly if the defendant is black. We know they ain't buying it if he's black. Uh, I, digress on, uh, I digress on that point. Um, well, let me not digress on that point. Let me extend that point um, mm-hmm. and extend it in this way. What impact would rethinking the notion of free will have on our criminal justice system in America? Yeah, so this is a really tough issue because we have to sort of play out, you know, what would happen. Um, I, I, I recently wrote an article where I said it would be massively counterproductive. It sounds good, maybe in the beginning, that, hey, we all kind of treat each other as, you know, sort of um, not... We, we're all humans, and we all make mistakes, but we're not responsible for those mistakes because for all the reasons I gave before, that responsibility skeptics. So instead of trying to get revenge, you know, retributive justice against wrongdoers, let's try to um, deter them, correct their behavior, get, get, um, restore the victims as much as we can to their, you know, their previous state before they were victimized. And let's just try to deter this kind of misconduct going forward. You know, let's be more forward-looking than backward-looking. Um, and, and, and the idea is to treat even perpetrators as more human beings, full human beings, um, instead of just criminals, reducing them to one-dimensional criminals. They are three-dimensional human beings. They made a mistake. Let's try to prevent them from making that mistake going forward. And, uh, and that's the idea. I don't think it would work. I think we need culpability. Um, uh, But I should also say they also think we abuse the notion of culpability. And this is where I think race is definitely um, related. Mm -hmm. We tend to look at, um, you know, historically uh, in our courtrooms, black defendants as much more uh, culpable um, and the degree of evil. You know, you can have jurors who think they are perfectly unbiased and not racist, but when you look statistically, they tend to be much more punitive and much more retributive against black defendants, non-white defendants, than against white defendants. And that's just the fact. And so the idea that responsibility skeptics have is let's get rid of culpability and this punitive kind of impulse of ours altogether. And then we can really judge them as not white or black, but as full human beings, um, and then see how we can make the situation better all around for everybody, the victim the perpetrator and so mm-hmm. on. Um, yeah. And, and, and what would that ultimately do? I'm just, I'm just extending the thought here. What would that ultimately do to the so-called rule of law in this country? Well, so my thought is that it would be very bad. We, we already have a mass incarceration problem. And if you, if we decide tomorrow, you know, it's never going to happen or it's not going to happen for a long time, but if the responsibility skeptics won the day in the legislatures and they said, we're getting rid of culpability and we're just going to then how are we going to judge uh, defendants? We, we can prove they did the wrong thing, let's say. But now what? I mean, do, do we punish them? Uh, well, they would say, no, we, we just lock them up until they're no longer dangerous. Well, how do we how do we assess? You know, we're not very good at predicting dangerousness, mm-hmm. even for um, for uh, uh, 
people with uh, prior criminality. Um, we're not very, very good at predicting recidivism. There are risk mm-hmm. factors, and we're getting a little better. You know, we, we you know it's better than fifty fifty odds. Sometimes even sixty or seventy percent odds that we can predict. But that still leaves thirty percent where we're wrong. We can't leave it entirely up to our predictions how to deal with people. Um, and, and and in fact, what's going to happen is I think it would make it a lot easier for prosecutors to convict innocent people mm-hmm. if we got rid of this culpability requirement. Uh, because now they can just say, you seem dangerous. Yeah. And you can only imagine how bad that's going to be for non-white people. No, I get it. Right? For black people. I mean, um, it would just ease their prosecutorial burden. So now you're going to have uh, even more punishment rather than less. And in that sense, I think it would be counterproductive. When we come forward, then, I want to come straight to this notion of how um, free will impacts then our understanding of moral responsibility. We've been talking about a lot of factors in this hour, but I want to come right to that, how, how, how our, uh, our understanding of free will impacts our understanding of moral responsibility. We'll attack that when we come forward on KBL. Heard any other talk radio lately that sounds anything like this? We didn't think so. You're listening to Unapologetically Progressive KBLA Talk 1580. Are you really responsible for the choices that you make? Uh, and therefore, should you be uh, responsible for the repercussions and consequences that result from those choices? We're talking in this hour about free will with our guest, philosopher and LSU law professor, Dr. Ken Levy. Uh, Dr. Levy, let me come right to this. We've been talking about a variety of, again, uh, factors uh, in this hour uh, relative uh, to free will. But I- I'm wondering how you think the notion of free will impacts our understanding of moral responsibility. Yeah, um, there, there is, uh, philosophers are debating this, um, whether free will is even necessary for moral responsibility. Um, and, and there's been really in the past 50 years, um, a, a vigorous debate about whether it is. There's, uh, many philosophers just now assume, and, and I hope this is answering your question and tell me if it isn't, that we can be responsible even if we could not have chosen otherwise. So going back to choosing between good and evil, mm-hmm. it might be the case that I choose to punch somebody for, I don't know, I, um, saying the wrong thing to me. Let's say I started it. I, I insulted them, and then I didn't like the look and of the person, and I punched them. So I did entirely the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, some have argued that I can still be responsible even if I didn't do that freely. For all the reasons we, we talked about before, even I was determined to do that, even, um, you know, if uh, I was made, you know, I was grown, brought up in a violent household, blah, 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 I can still be responsible, even if I couldn't have done otherwise. And then they just say, because all, all responsibility really requires is control, and I controlled my arm um, when I punched, and uh, a minimal level of reason responsiveness, that, you know, I, I'm responsive to reasons. I'm not so delusional or hallucinatory that, you know, I, I'm in touch with reality. And that's all that's required. So you don't really need this metaphysical ability to do otherwise. All you need is control and reasons responsiveness. And there are a lot of people, they're called compatibilists, uh, and there's different varieties of compatibilism, but um, they, they, um, they buy that. In fact, most professional philosophers are compatibilists. They think there's just a few conditions that are necessary for moral responsibility, and uh, we don't have to get into the, all the metaphysics that you and I were talking about before. Mm-hmm. We, we can just bypass that. And, and really, it's a very pragmatic view. 
right? Because you and I, you know, we're, we're talking right now, there are all sorts of things we could say and do that um, we would judge each other for morally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and if we were suddenly say, ah, you're not, you know, there's no such thing as responsibility. You can't judge somebody morally, um, or you can't judge whether to blame them, for example. Um, that would really interrupt our social relationships. Um, it would, um, people have quite, think there couldn't be love anymore. Uh, there couldn't be genuine, um, you know, uh, any kind of genuine emotions toward others because all of that presupposes res- responsibility. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't be practical. Yeah. Yeah. When we come forward in our remaining moments, there are two things I want to get to with Dr. Levy, um, before we run out of time at the top of the hour. Um, they are the following. Number one, it seems to me that there are things that we can do uh, that don't take us all the way to the position of the responsibility of skeptics, that we just do away with uh, any level of responsibility. We uh, buy this argument that nobody really has free will, that we all move in the ways that we move because of factors that are predetermined. We ain't got to go all the way to the wall in that regard. I think there are a number of things we can do between here and there um, to reform our criminal justice system. He's also a, a law professor as much as he is a philosopher. So I wanted to get his take on that. We, we don't have to go all the way to the wall. Can we do some things between here and there uh, that reasonably reform our criminal justice system, number one? And number two, he raises here earlier that he laughed when he said it. I laughed when he said it. But it's it, again, it's real. It's been used as an argument before in other cases. And that is whether or not somewhere down the road we might hear the affluenza uh, argument uh, uh, made by Donald Trump's team that he um, was raised in such a wealthy family and was so catered to his entire life and didn't really understand the difference between right and wrong and good and bad and good and evil and whether or not uh, that defense might be used at some point. He's got to come up with something. I and mean, You heard that tape that we played in our first hour that's out now. Uh, it's going to be tough. Um, so he's got to come up with something. He, I think uh, Professor Levy's right. He's not going to use the insanity defense. But what about the other argument? Uh, we'll talk about that when we come forward. Now, remaining moments with uh, Ken Levy on KBLA Talk 158. Um, two things, again, in these four minutes. Number one, um, we don't have to be responsibility skeptics, Dr. Levy, um, to accept that there are some things that we can reasonably do to reform our criminal justice system as we know it. Yes, no? Absolutely. Um, I would recommend, and, and tell me if you've already, you may have already spoken with Judge Victoria Pratt, who wrote a, a wonderful book called The Power of Dignity. She was a former municipal judge in uh, Newark, and she, um, instead of looking at every offender, who, you know, criminal offender who came before her as just, you know, like on an assembly line and a file, she treated them as three-dimensional human beings and really focused on the needs that each offender had. They had drug addiction. Um, they had, um, po- there was poverty. Um, they had health needs, mental health, physical health. And she said she eventually set up a whole network, a whole infrastructure to address the needs of the offenders instead of just saying lock them up and let them out in a year or whatever. And they're not going to have any job skills, any education, and they're going to be right back probably recidivating because that's often the only way they can make any money. Uh, So she had a whole needs based approach that I think we should uh, we should do this across the nation Mm -hmm. Uh, in the federal system, the state system. And uh, a needs based, and, and we are doing it. I know in Louisiana, there's been some efforts where I, you know, in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. 
Um, drug courts, you know, we have now drug courts. They, they're much more about treatment than punishment. Um, but, but you were talking about racial, the, um, the, you know, there's tremendous racial bias. And, mm-hmm. and, and I know there's ways that people are working on minimizing the bias of juries. There's all sorts of structural problems, that, and those are harder to reform often um, than, than, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, uh, it, sort of tailored needs. But absolutely, there's plenty of room, and, and more of the blue states than the red states are enacting one reform after another to improve the criminal justice system. We're all aware that it's not working. Nope, we're I... all aware of mass incarceration. You know, finally, we're all aware that we've been, it's been an incredibly unfair system for way too long. Um, and it's been, uh, there's mass incarceration. You're just, you're, you're destroying community. You've been destroying communities for, for decades. Um, primarily, you know, uh, black people's communities, you know, people of color and, um, we, we destroyed their livelihood. I mean, we, so we're aware of it now and that's always the first step. Right. I, I slowly and surely reforms are being made. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to address the uh, affluenza defense? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I do. I, I, heard, I, heard, I heard your recommendation. I love recommendations. J.D. wrote that down. Uh, mm-hmm. Judge Victoria Pratt. We'll see if we can't track her down. I've got about 90 seconds. Yeah. So you wrote the article, Is yeah. Donald Trump Responsible for His Bad Behavior? How is he going to answer that in court? He, I, I think just Donald Trump being Donald Trump, is, if he even takes a stand, which I don't think he will, I think they're just going to try to poke holes in the prosecution's story, which is going to be incredibly hard to do. He's on tape. He's got dozens of witnesses. I, I don't see any real valid defense for him. But in the public arena, he, he's not going to say affluenza. He's not going to say insanity. He's going to say he's going to, you know, he's going to be all proud and manly. And I did the right thing. and I had every right to do it. Uh, that's not going to fly in court. But in the public arena, you know, he's got his millions of people who will never leave him, right? Yeah. And uh, that may be enough for them. Yeah, we shall um, see. We shall see. Um, our guest <laughs> yeah. in this hour has been Dr. Ken Levy, a philosopher and LSU law professor. Uh, we've been talking in this hour about free will and whether or not we truly do make our own choices or whether or not they are made by predetermined factors beyond our control. If you missed any part of this rich conversation, uh, check out the podcast of it, which we posted later today on all of our KBLA platforms. Until then, Dr. Levy, an honor, sir, to have had this dialogue with you. Thank you for your time. All the best to you, sir. Thank you so much. It was an honor for me, too. Thank you very much for that. Uh, when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, hour three of Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk, 1580.